It's 8.17, this is James Ross, this is Money Talk, and we welcome our guests to the show. Uh, first of all, Andrew Farris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Uh, nice to have you on the show, as normal, on a Friday. Also, let's say hello and good morning to James Whelan, uh, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, good morning, James. James, how are you now? Uh, very well, thank you. It is Friday, so we're all happy about that. But, Andrew, uh, <laughs> GDP not in the US not looking so good. 1.1% is what the prediction is. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts is went directly to see what's happening to inflation, because if GDP is uh, decelerating and inflation is not, then uh, remember there is quite a significant gap between what happens to GDP and what happens to inflation, because GDP is always a backward-looking number. And the answer is, unfortunately, is the CPE that the Fed particularly likes went up from about 4.2 to 4.9% and not down. So uh, if one clears one's throat and uh, becomes uh, really gloomy on a Friday, you'll say, well, not only GDP is slowing down, but inflation is accelerating. I don't think that's a quite a fair assessment, but at least it points out that the Fed will not hold back for another hike of uh, 25. Are you gloomy on a Friday, James? Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on that GDP number and uh, thoughts towards the Fed's decision next week? I have to absolutely agree with Andrew on this. I mean, the, the GDP, yes, it is slowing down, but consumer spending is, is, is still going on. Similar stories around the world, oh, sorry, locally at least here, where you'd think everyone's saying that you're going into a recession and yet the football still gets sold out. It's sort of that, that, the metaphor that I'm drawing on this one, that people are still out and about and doing things. You still need to look at inflation and the Fed will still continue to do what they're doing. I still continue to stand by the point of view that, that early in the piece, or uh, was late last year uh, when, uh, when people started to think that a pivot was underway, that Jay Powell did come out and said, no, we're going to keep doing what we have to do. It's easier. Don't forget that this is the overall mandate for the Fed at the moment. It's easier for us to fix something that we break by doing this than to perpetuate what is being perpetuated. So this will continue to go another 25. And then, and then I do think that anyone who thinks that the big cuts back end of this year are in play, I, I think that maybe you should discount that a little bit. It'll be higher for a bit longer, um, and we just have to, have, to, uh, have to play that as it is. So um, uh, factor that into your, uh, into your, into your forecasts. It's a familiar saying, James, that uh, the Fed will keep raising rates until something breaks. Has something broken yet, do you think? I, I think that we were on the brink of something maybe potentially happening. But, but like I said, the, the banking crisis in the States was a fascinating, a fascinating take at how panic and reactive and that potentially what's happening with First Republic could still... Um, uh, I, I think it's still definitely on the brink of whether the government's going to come in or not on that one. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's easy to fix something that breaks. So yes, things do break. Commercial property in the States, I think, is still, is still a big risk. It's on the horizon that people know about. However, this is the situation. It's easy for them to fix something that they break. So the panic that, uh, that, that ensues around these things is true and is justified. That yes, we should actually know about what these things are. But the fixes that can be in place are just as easily and, 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 and quickly enabled as on it. I'm not saying that people should uh, take, a, take a load of crack of beer and put your feet up and just let your Bloomberg terminal do what it does. But the, uh, I think that, I think people, people sometimes want to jump out the window uh, over these sorts of things, and they are some big risks. They are huge monetary problems and, and, and critical situations. But you can see what the market is doing. It just does not care. It would not think 
that there was the underlying problems that there are by looking at the stock market. Andrew? I agree. Uh, let's take the stock market. And if I look at my trusty Bloomberg screen, uh, 95% <laughs> everything is green year to date in US dollar terms, except <laughs> Hong Kong, Thailand and Malaysia. And uh, why is partially, that? Why is that? Uh, my, Thailand and Malaysia have got specific reasons. Hong Kong, of course, has uh, higher interest rates in the horizon. And the fact that the recovery post-COVID and uh, post-drop in the numbers of, uh, of, of China has not yet uh, taken place. So it's very simple. Okay, so what it means, it means that if I look at all the European and non-European markets, uh, it seems as if they have completely shrugged the fact that Fed has increased and will continue to increase in terms simply of the stock market going up. Have we dropped the ball in Hong Kong? Um, uh, well, uh, perhaps we should ask if we had the ball to drop it in the first place, <laughs> okay? Because with, uh, with the peg, uh, Hong Kong has to sacrifice independent monetary policy. And although it is part of China, and people n never stop from pointing this out, because it's very interesting to say that the monetary policy of a part of China is determined by, by the Fed. And mm. that's the way it is. I mean, mm. I'm not mm. being neither sarcastic nor, nor clever here. <laughs> it is like that, and it has been since 82, if I remember well. Mm. Okay, so, yes, that's the way it is going to so go. So we the, get the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds, depending well, on how you look at it, right? Exactly. I mean, can you imagine if now the Hong Kong Monetary Authority came and says, well, we will start uh, preparing the ground to unpeg the peg. Okay, I don't think the Chinese will put up with that at all. I'm not suggesting one moment that uh, there would be a, an aspect of uh, patriotic fervor. Okay, they will say that has been working extremely well for Hong Kong, live well alone. My idea is that we will begin to see something in the horizon once the renminbi is genuinely capital convertible. In that case, there will be a lot of reasons to say let the peg go and perhaps not peg it to the renminbi, but uh, let it float with an anchor to the RMB. That will make a lot of sense, but not now, of course. James, turning to the, the recent sell-off uh, in China shares, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Has it, uh, has it slowed down and, uh, and paused? Uh, it's a fascinating little case study on how, it, and similar to what I was saying just, just earlier, that the economy is not the market and the market is not the economy, and even when we come to China, that the economy is also not really the economy either. So we saw, we've seen strong rebounding growth in the general overall economy, and yet you have a look at industrial profits yesterday that came out that was showing somewhere it was about 20% decrease for the first three months of the year. And that's, that's quite substantial, and let's not go nuts here. But, um, yeah, we are still seeing that sell-off in Chinese stocks, which is, which is fascinating at what stage you want to charge in and what it is that you want to buy in China is really the question because China will keep doing what China does. I think that potentially a fair amount of the money flow is, and I've been looking for, for a long time at switching and making sure that I've got a big um, allocation to India coming up. And that's, and that's sort of where I'm making the, the move to their more friendly country. There's policy situations going on with China and potentially that but the money allocation that you have to China just can't be there, and there is a more alter, a more friendly alternative um, in India that, that, that's showing up. But China will continue to China, and they'll continue to grow. And I think that through the year they're going to hit their GDP targets because that's just what they do, and they're going to continue to lift their GDP targets. So there's a place at which you want to at, at which you want to be a buyer of China. But uh, while the money flow is coming out of there, I don't think that you can really um, go in and catch that knife at the right. moment. 
Andrew, are you, are you confident about China at the moment? Confident about what? In other words, if the recovery will continue, there is no reason why it, it shouldn't. Uh, fiscal and monetary policy in China, they have gone through what I would call a slightly neutral behavior right now. Chinese were never keen on cutting interest rates. I mean, they have always uh, tried to avoid that, although in the last two years they have cut interest rates, but they prefer, of course, to reduce reserve requirements and increase the liquidity of the banking system rather than, in other words, increase the quantity rather than decrease the price and, uh, and keep it like that. So the way this is going, it looks reasonably good. I have never, ever been a supporter of the idea that the Chinese economy is export-driven because it isn't. So I must prefer to look at what is happening uh, on retail sales, and this has been good. The last quarter numbers were, were quite, quite encouraging. So, you know, looking at it, I won't tell you I'm going to leap out of bed and say, hooray, you know, we're <laughs> off to the races. But neither I will turn on the other side and say, wake me up in a year's time. No, of course not. Uh, turning to um, big tech, and, uh, you know, we're seeing some um, results coming out of the U.S. Uh, overnight, uh, James, for Amazon and uh, also for Facebook. It uh, looks like um, tech's doing well uh, for a change. You know, it has been on the down for quite some time, but uh, is there a pullback? Uh, if you look at the valuations on it, and uh, you know PE, PE multiples, um, I was sort of looking at them at the beginning of the week. Just looking, I think it was forward earnings were about 25 times. I was listening also to a UBS report earlier in the week. Their chief investment officers get together and do a little podcast, and it, it was I think that they were saying that there needs to be a 30% increase in earnings to be able to meet the multiples that are being seen by the market in, in general. Earnings, sorry, PEs for tech are stretched. This has been a, uh, that there was uh, expect uh, revisions to the downside going into this earnings season, and then there's been a beat. So there's a lot of people who are crowing about, oh, this is great, the beating, the beating expectations, but those expectations were brought down a long way. I am seeing that <laughs> the word, the term AI being used a lot in conference calls, and everyone, everyone, everyone getting all excited about AI. But I think that for this, and if we're going to talk about Meta, and I was a big shorter of Meta going into the, um, into the huge downgrade last year and the decline last year because of how much money they were throwing into the metaverse. I think that, that everything that was um, contributing to their downside because of the metaverse last year is now contributing to the upside for AI. And they're still losing heaps of money on the reality labs, which is their metaverse side of things. But what they're doing in AI and the rest of the business seems to be carrying everything else and it's going well. I think that AI... Right. Artificial intelligence is the real deal, James, mm. and I think that it probably um, investors should make sure that there's an allocation to it and respect it. In. Andrew, are you positive about tech at the moment? I'm afraid that I'm not positive at all on the AI. I've just been looking at what has happened in the dot com in the year 1992, the year two, uh, 2022. Okay, and my God, is a completely the same replay. I looked at all the hype. I looked at all the expectations. One, what we have to remember, and I think I've got a nice little catchphrase, AI is not new, but it is in the news. Okay, so <laughs> the pivotal basis, okay, I think lacks there. I th I, good luck to them, and I think it's a very good, uh, very good idea that there, there is investment into that, but most definitely I'm not going to hang my expectations that... Uh, Unlike the dot com, and I agree here with James about Meta. I think it has got lost in the translation. I keep going around and says, "Where is the Meta universe? Where is all of us living in in uh, in uh, in uh, what do you call it? Uh, metaphysical 
It's gone, so I don't want to, to get hooked because the more I looked at the applications of AI, the more it is a very clear, direct lead of what is already there. Right. Okay, that's very important. Uh, Andrew Ferris is CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Thanks to him and also thanks to James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group.